The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. The left is on the march. They never tarry. They never slow down. They never take a break. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Yep, they're on the march. Remember that whole thing about the Electoral College? Yep, they're doing it. An aide told an outlet, The Hill, that the amendment is supported by Kirsten Gillibrand, Dick Durbin, and Dianne Feinstein, and multiple news outlets confirmed that from Hawaii, Brian Schatz, Democrat Hawaii, is set this week to introduce a constitutional amendment to abolish the Electoral College. Yeah, there we go. The proposal comes on the heels of a package of election reform bills introduced last week by Jeff Merkley, Democrat Oregon. These efforts are not currently merged together. One of Merkley's bills would propose a constitutional amendment to nix the Electoral College and elect the president by direct popular vote. Abolishing the Electoral College has gained popularity in progressive circles recently because they finally lost to that that sort of system. I added that in at the end, obviously. Several 2020 White House hopefuls like Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris have expressed openness to the reform. Booker said during a CNN town hall that he believes that a person who wins the most votes should be president. Look, this isn't class president. This is something that happens across a collection of states. We've talked about this ad nauseum, but the Electoral College, we do not have one voting election for president. We have 50 separate state vocal, uh, voting elections. And this equalizes representation across the board. At the very minimal, you will have three delegates because it equals the number of the electoral representatives you have uh, from the House of Representatives and through the Senate. Now, of course, the Senate's original design was supposedly appointment by the state legislatures, which you would vote for in your state. So the state legislature, that vote, in your state had more teeth than it does now because you would vote for your state legislation and your state legislators would then appoint the two senators. But regardless, you get two senators per per state and then you get the number of electorals uh, or House of Representatives elective uh, electorals that match that. So, you know, a state like a Wyoming or what have you that has a very smaller population, um, even though their landmass is huge, would at least have three. But they're looking at just doing away with all that so that California and New York, they can basically choose the president because, you know, apparently under Obama and everyone else, it never worked, but it does work um, under a Trump-Hillary situation, and that means we have to get rid of it. And what's funny is one of Hillary Clinton's old aides, Peter Dow, this guy... He put up, poll, abolish the Electoral College. And after seven, what is it, 76,415 votes. Actually, let's see where it got, because I kind of followed this over the weekend. 
Um, I believe that might have been the final tally, but the total was 61% of a Hillary Clinton aide, one of his polls specifically designed to focus on the left who follow him, 61% said electoring, uh, abolishing the Electoral College is a bad idea. So the popular vote won for keeping the Electoral College, as far as Peter Dow's uh, poll goes. Amazing. So the left is on the march to dismantle the Electoral College, as we talked about. They're either going to do it by their own state fiat and say, hey, to hell with what you wanted. We're just going to go ahead and give our electoral votes over to the popular vote that is in the lead. Um, good luck with all that. You know, I mean, they can't make the changes within the system that we already have. Good luck on trying to do a constitutional uh, amendment change. I don't think you realize what a constitutional convention, what kind of logistics that would what that would entail. The reason why the founders found the need to make that such a tortured process is because they don't want things just changed willy nilly. You have to go through a like the buzzsaw of vetting to get to a point where people are fed up enough to make a constitutional amendment change. But, you know, they will go to whatever length they can because they've lost the power in the areas that they want. They have lost their power in the court of divinity. They want their court of divinity to be restored. And when I say court of divinity, I'm talking about the Supreme Court. And it's completely under threat with a Trump presidency because he put Kavanaugh in, he put Gorsuch in, and now, <laughs> from what we are seeing, the UK Daily Mail, Trump plans to appoint female judge to replace Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg if she ever retires, as he tells confidants he's saving Judge Amy Coney Barrett for that slot, which is awesome. We wanted her for the Kavanaugh position, so apparently he's trying to do as close to an apples and apples replacement comparison as possible. Gorsuch for Scalia, Kavanaugh for Kennedy. I mean, I don't think we are ever going to get somebody like a Scalia. I don't know who the hell you would pick for a Thomas, but President Trump is reportedly saving a seat on the U.S. Supreme Court for conservative Amy Coney Barrett to take the place of 86-year-old Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Amy Coney Barrett a judge on the Seventh Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals was added to Trump's shortlist as a potential nominee last year during the retirement of Anthony Kennedy. She's 47 years old. She is among Trump's top three picks before he settled on Brett Kavanaugh, which sparked controversy, obviously. But Donald Trump's plan to have Barrett on the Supreme Court in place of Ginsburg is where he wants to go. That will cause a ripple effect like you've never seen. You thought it was bad with Solo cups and rape gangs and things like that with Kavanaugh. Wait till you put Amy Coney Barrett up there and she's a female. So I don't know how far they're going to go with that. Obviously, gender only matters when you're a leftist because you're Michelle Bachman's and you're Sarah Palin's and Condoleezza Rice's and Nikki Haley's and Mia Love's, whether they're black, whether they're brown, whether they're just female whites, they're going to get destroyed regardless. And RBG where the heck is she? Everybody, I mean, even Samuel Adams, they want to make a beer after her, which I guess it's going to be the decrepit Grim Reaper Porter. You know, it has has notes of, of 
overdone fried hair perms that you would smell in the floral halls of a nursing home. Maybe it has that Ben Gay aftertaste. You know, I was thinking about brewing a John Roberts 60 Seconds IPA. Starts off as this full-bodied, principled beer. And then in less than a minute later, turns into limp piss water like a Miller 64. That lukewarm <laughs> a-hole. God. So, yeah. The Supreme Court pick for RBG, the notorious RBG, is most likely going to be Amy Coney Barrett. And of course, the Me Too movement, they won't care that it's a female. They're ready to destroy her immediately. But the president is now on a roll. We have to say that the president is on a roll, in a good roll, because now that the Mueller report is off of his neck, he's able to go out and he's stopping the funding to certain, uh, certain Central American countries, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, or what have you. All of the ones that are aiding into the new caravan, the caravan, the mother of all caravans, from what we've been told, that is coming across the border, um, they are now under scrutiny by the Trump administration to lose the funding. And on top of that, the Democrats could not override the veto that Trump is pushing to get his emergency national border funding through. So we may get a wall out of the deal. I don't know. And then we are not spending aid to nations that want to flood us with their then their less than desirables. You know, the drug runners. Listen to this. CBS News actually had a, had a tweet they put out from a headline that they had, and they got dragged for it. The human coyotes helping migrants survive Central America's grueling Darien Gap jungle. Human coyotes? Are they're just helping the migrants? They're just giving them assistance. Um, coyotes are traffickers. They take people across the border for money, and they take drugs across the mo- the border. They're not good people. But apparently, CBS News decided they wanted to paint them in a good light. Human coyotes helping migrants survive the Central American grueling Darien Gap jungle. The Darien Gap. That is where not only are drug cartels going through to get to America and exploiting those trying to make it across through human trafficking, sex trafficking, whatever. But it's also where the link-up is for Hezbollah. They fly into Brazil. They fly into to South America. And then they're guided up through the Darien Gap in Panama. And that's where they're carried from there on into Mexico, across the Central American states, that are unsavory at best. The ones that don't really care about our country and want to flood us with those people. That, that's kind of where we're at with all of this. And they're trying to paint it like it's, eh, you know, coyotes helping them out, giving them a solid, getting those people across the border who just want a new life. It's just kids and, and moms, and they just want a better life. And human coyotes are going to help them across the border. It's complete insanity. Hey, can we get some of those benevolent, charitable coyotes to bring up some avocados? Maybe some tequila? Maybe some salsa de fam- reserva de familia or some hornitos? Because apparently that is the big issue with closing the border. It's unbelievable. I'm telling you, the left never 
The left and the media, they never fail to just be stupid, to just show their idiocy, to show that they will go to any length possible to create a crisis, to go from an angle to create outrage. But yet, at the same time, they don't really care about the importance of the angle they go with. I mean, listen to this. Americans would run out of avocados in three weeks if Trump shuts down the border and imports from Mexico were stopped, said the president of the largest distributor and grower of avocados in the world. And in fact, that was from NBC News. Dallas News had Trump's border shut down could wreck the economy, experts say. To which one of the uh, authors said, I don't know why we're talking about avocados and strawberries as much as I love them both, when the whole flipping auto industry could be shut down in a matter of days if we close the U.S.-Mexican border. From the U.K. Daily Mail, America would run out of avocados in three weeks if the border is shut down. It's unbelievable. And so that's what we're worried about. Twelve years, we're going to die of climate change. Three weeks, we might lose all the avocados. Net neutrality, you're all going to die. Remember the, uh, was it Old Man uh, Withers or whatever on uh, Adam Sandler's uh, Billy Madison, where they put the flaming bag of poo on his doorstep? And he's like, he gonna, if he realizes it's in the bag, is it, you know. And so the guy walks out and he steps on. He's like, it's an old bag of poo again. You're all going to die. That's what we're dealing with. I mean, Obamacare. Everybody's going to die if we change Obamacare. Oh, my Lord, net neutrality. Everybody's going to die. We've only got 12 years and the planet's going to die. We got to do something quick. Three weeks and we're going to be out of avocados. No more avocado toast for you. And what's interesting about that, actually, Caleb Hull said on 95.5 in D.C. this morning, the host was ranting about if Trump shuts down the border, we will run out of avocados, so you should vote against Trump in 2020. To which I was saying, uh, for avocado toast? I mean, I love the elitist sanctimony of the left. Who's going to pick our lettuce if we don't embrace illegal immigrants? How are we going to get avocados if the border is regulated? You know what? How about we get some kids, some suburban 13, 14, 15 years old to get work permits? Maybe when they're 16 and they're actually legally allowed to work, maybe they get some summer jobs out there on the farm picking some lettuce, learning a work ethic. You know, if I'm going to worry about avocados and tequila not making across the border, first off, I'll try a different flavor. Maybe some vodka, maybe some rum. Maybe I'll go with that great vineyard out in California that has to bring in those immigrants to pick the, pick the grapes. Can't have the kids picking the grapes. Can't have the uh, 16 to 18 to 19 to maybe 25-year-olds picking the grapes, the ones that are still on their parents' insurance. But they won't do those jobs. That's beneath them. They've already spent 250000 to get a degree in German fashion design because they were told, you're not going to be able to do anything without a degree, and they automatically assume that because I paid 250000 for a freaking degree that I didn't need, that that degree is basically a jobs 
uh, internship program, and then I should go right on to the top as a CEO because I graduated uh, you know, from college. Well, here's the thing. I will pass on the avocados. I will support a regulated border. I will pass on some freaking fresh guacamole from the Mexican restaurant as long as Hezbollah isn't rolling up with, you know, MS-13 from the Darien Gap, running illegals, running humans to be sold, to be prostituted across our border. Just saying, I'm fine with that. Shut down the avocados. Yeah, there is a case to be made that we do outsource a good portion of our economy of automobiles, our creation and manufacturing of automobiles to Mexico, but we do that to other countries as well. And that's the case that will be made to a president and a Congress who wants to create an environment that is pro-business. Get the freaking manufacturing down. Get the minimum wage down. Get the co- get anything that is regulating the death out of business that's unnecessary out of the way, and you will create the environment. You will create the playing field that a business goes, hmm, I outsourced the manufacturing of the engines and maybe parts of the chassis down in Mexico, but, you know, I don't like the fact that the Mexican government is filled with pol- policia, the federales, who are corrupt as all hell, and the gangs that are basically killing reporters out there in Cancun, I'll take the risk that my CEO, maybe my middle management team, won't be executed for being a, being a Caucasian down in Mexico. I will relinquish that risk and the reward for the cheaper cost to build the engines and chassis. And now that the playing field is leveled in a great country like America, I will bring that portion of manufacturing back to America. That's where it comes from. That's, it's the risk and reward. Take an international business course, gang. I've taken plenty of them. And you get down to, well, should we decide the economic choice of operating in America at the highest tax rate and with high minimum wage law, uh, regulations and, and OSHA regulations and everything under the sun? Or do we take the risk of setting up shop down there in Colombia and hope the government doesn't collapse. But in the interim, maybe the government will stay afloat for three or four years and we can make good revenue based on the fact that we're not having to pay for high cost of labor, high cost of manufacturing. Those things all come into account. And idiots like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez don't understand it. You know, she's out there talking about going to the airport and being pissed about croissants being $7. I mean, it's the same frame of mind. There is no self-awareness with these people. She was out there. What did she say again? She complained about being in LaGuardia. She complained about the fact that it cost $7 for her to purchase a freaking croissant. And then she went on to complain about how minimum wage laws are not supporting. What, yeah, here it is. Croissants at LaGuardia are going for $7 a piece. Emoji with hands on a face, surprised, shocked. Yet some people are getting the whole hour of personal dedicated human labor for $15 an hour and saying that's too expensive. GOP has taken every tweet so earnestly, making the point for me. It's not an argument 
about the price against a croissant. It's about the value of human worth. But I guess the idea is foreign to them since their policies treat people as disposable anyways. Well, let's not get into disposable humans, you know, and and population control. You're basically insinuating that anyone is disposable because they might be a burden onto a female's career. Let's abort them straight out the womb. But here's some things to take into account. You know, maybe the cost of ingredients to make the croissant is expensive. Maybe they outsource the croissants and just bring them shipped in. And then they prepare whatever they do with the croissants with those ingredients. And those costs get brought in. So the cost of creating the product per unit gets brought in. And then they factor how much profit they're going to make off of each. And then they have to make sure to cover the cost of labor that you want to shove up to $15 an hour. They, call, they cover the cost of utilities, the cost of uh, supplies, the cost of assets that they use, whether it's point-of-sale service machines, whether it's the marketing. They're going to put in the cost of marketing, the cost of the rental for the facility to operate in LaGuardia which I would say goes probably for a premium. Think about retail space and how important that is. Well, that's probably going to be something that's going to be up there on the cost list. And so then you get all of that factored in to the fact that maybe now they're also looking at it going, well, you are in LaGuardia, and we don't have too much competition, so we're going to price it up against it. Now, even Ted Cruz said uh, LaGuardia croissants are $7 because it's a government monopoly. Airports are... And it's with a $19 minimum wage. So he's right on that. Medicare for All promises free health care by forcing doctors to give away their labor for government wages. And he's right. And we have to sit there and listen to people go, well, why do y'all care so much about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Why does conservative media go out of its way to make her this big star? Well, look, let's start with the fact that Time Magazine put out an expose on her. I mean, I don't remember my female Democrat freshman representative who just got elected getting any sort of media treatment like this. You know, yeah, conservative media has been focusing on her quite a bit, but that's an example that they can use to show what they fear from these campus reform articles facilitating themselves. All of these indoctrinated kids coming out of college, going into the workforce and how they're pushing their democratic socialist indoctrination into into, you know, existence. But who's filming these South by Southwest forums, these CNN town halls? I mean, that's the fact that she gets out there and says that the Constitution was amended to stop FDR from being reelected when the FDR died and they just wanted to put in a provision, hey, we probably shouldn't have people keep getting voted in for life. I'm down with the tradition that we've always had with two terms. That's something that, was done because they all found the need to do that. But you know what? Conservative media is going to use that to show an example of the stupidity of the democratic socialist, not to prop her up. That's not the point of what they're trying to do, but the left is trying to pretend like we're all pouncing on her for that reason. Back in a second. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade broadcast when our party was boldest the time of the new new deal the great society the civil rights act and so on 
we had and carried super majorities in the House, in the Senate, we carried the presidency. They had to amend the Constitution of the United States to make sure Roosevelt did not get reelected. And uh, we, you know, there were so many extraordinary things that were happening in that time that were uniting working people. Oh, schnookums. Yeah, FDR was already dead. This is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, her explanation into why she thinks that, you know, after certain elections, we need to remake everything with the government. And that's because she got all of that information wrong. (laughs) But we've already talked about that. But here's the thing. Speaking of the $7 croissant, you're in a government-run airport. They have a monopoly on who can operate there. And they also will demand the, the wage rate. If you put it in a regular situation, wouldn't it make more sense that if you can keep that profit margin, but yet lower the price to outbid and undercut your competitor for a lower price, doesn't that mean you're going to attract more businesses? So when you push that labor cost up and you still have that profit margin, that's going to increase the price of your product. Simple as that. All right, so let's get into Hansy Lunchbox Joe. You know, I think the Democratic Socialists have it out for Joe Biden because they're afraid of how the old guard in the middle of this civil war between the young, ignorant, moronic Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Beto O'Rourke types who want to remove the Electoral College and basically re reimagine America as a different country. They're fighting up against the old guard of Joe Biden. And yep. Hashtag me too for me and not for thee. That's how it rolls when you're handsy lunchbox Joe. Uh, let's go back to that. Let's go back to that day in November 2014. Uh, the, the vice president Biden has come to Nevada for a campaign event. You're running for lieutenant governor. You're both backstage waiting to go on stage. What happened next? Well, it happened also suddenly. We, it's, you know, anyone who's ever been at a rally recognizes that there is just chaos. That everyone's running back and forth. Um, Eva Longoria was there. We were all lined up next to the stage. Eva was in front of me. Joe Biden was behind me. I'm kind of preparing myself to give these remarks. It's the very last days before the election. And uh, very unexpectedly and out of nowhere, I feel Joe Biden put his hands on my shoulders, get up very close to me from behind, lean in, smell my hair, and then plant a slow kiss on the top of my head. And that in and of itself might not sound like it's a very serious thing. That in and of itself might sound like it was innocent and well-intentioned. But in the context of it, as a person that had absolutely no relationship with him afterwards, as a candidate who was preparing to make my case for why I should be elected, elected the second in command of that state, to have the vice president of the United States do that to me so unexpectedly and just kind of out of nowhere. It was just shocking. It was shocking because you don't expect that kind of intimate behavior. You don't expect that kind of intimacy from uh, someone so powerful and someone who you just have no relationship whatsoever to, to touch you and to feel you and to be so close to you in that way. So I frankly just didn't even know how to react. I was just shocked. I, I felt I felt powerless. I felt like I couldn't move. I, I just didn't even know how to process it. And my bigger point that I've been making is that 
in these power dynamic situations, and, and women are subjected to this in, in the political setting, but in work settings all the time, that you just kind of process it and then you move on because you have a job to do. And frankly, what do you say? Who do you tell? Who do you, it, there just isn't really a mechanism to deal with it. And, and so that's what I did. I went on and I uh, made my case and campaigned and, and frankly then went on with my life because again, what do you do? I mean, just to clarify on what you, what you just said, you don't consider it to be sexual harassment, but rather, I mean, what would you call it? It is a, an invasion of my personal space. It is a, it is a clear um, violation of my bodily autonomy to not be touched unless I give you permission to touch it. Those two clips were former Nevada Assemblywoman Lucy Flores, who alleges Joe Biden kissed the back of her head in 2014 at a campaign rally. Old cancer-fighting Uncle Joe! Lunchbox Joe, just being, you know, affectionate. That's what the Washington Post wants you to think. Yeah, he was just being affectionate, you know? No biggie. Just hugging and a kissing. Not a big deal. I mean, it's amazing the kind of stuff you can get away with when you're a Democrat. Tons of stuff. So, you know, while the Washington Post is running cover... And they're basically going on about Joe Biden's affectionate physical style with women comes under scrutiny. Affectionate? <laughs> affectionate? <laughs> I mean, the guy is groping women in many, many videos. And of course, you get idiots like this guy who I, I saw online who he's got a ton of followers, too. He's a you know, Democrat apologist. You got many of those online. But I think he has like He's got about 105,000, something like that, to the point where he had posted something as asinine as basically saying, um, <laughs> I can't even, it's, it's amazing. It'll, it just will crack you the heck up. This guy, Joe Biden, is an equal opportunity hugging machine. I found pictures of him hugging people of all ages and genders. It's not creepy. It's called affection. Joe Biden is a warm, caring man with a long career of service to his country. He genuinely cares about people. Um, yeah, he is hugging Al Franken and a couple of guys, and there's Mitt Romney, and there's Obama. Maybe he swings both ways there, Chief. You know, we're in 2019 where, you know, where you can basically marry a, a meerkat. Maybe he identifies as a smelly, crappy hippie at a dead show. You know, one walking around with a cardboard sign soliciting free hugs. Hey, bro, give peace a chance. Give free hugs. No, I think he has an affinity for the ladies. But he's still going to run. The Hill actually had a little report on this where they were saying Joe Biden readies presidential run amid allegations. Former President Joseph Biden is committed to running for president despite allegations of improper touching from two women last week. Since the allegations broke, Biden and his top advisors have been assuring supporters and donors that he's still moving forward and is expected to enter the race after Easter, sources say. He's still taking all this very seriously and is still committed to running, one Biden world source said, after adding that the former vice president still feels like he's the best person to defeat Trump 
in 2020. Well, you know, there's going to be a lot more of this because old cancer fighting Joe. Yeah, this is, that's how he treats a fellow colleague. You know, a fellow female colleague. She is somebody running for office and he goes up to her, basically smells her hair, maybe gives her butterfly kisses, rubs noses together. That's been called out a few times, too. Yeah. Who goes up? Wait, if you were married and you were seeing somebody who you work with who was a female and she did something, maybe she got, you know, employee of the, of the year award or, you know, most valuable employee and she gets the parking spot. Are you going to go up to her and rub your noses with her? I mean, yes, it's not sexual harassment to the level of taking photos with your hands on her boobs. Right, Al Franken? But it's, it's up there while well, she's asleep, by the way. It's up there with just complete inappropriateness. Now, that doesn't say we probably could dig digger with that kind of activity and with that kind of, uh, you know, laissez-faire attitude that he has that there's probably some things in the background that this would be the tip of the iceberg to. But I can't say either way. You know, of course, we on the right love due process. We love right to a fair trial. And so I'm not going to insinuate, oh, he is a sexual harasser, although there's some, you know, telltale signs that some things can go in that direction. But we are also under new rules, the rules that the left made. And right now, a Connecticut woman, this is from the Hartford Current, says then Vice President Joe Biden touched her inappropriately at a fundraiser in Greenwich in 2009. This is a different one. A Connecticut woman says Joe Biden touched her inappropriately and rubbed noses with her during the 2009 political fundraiser in Greenwich when he was vice president, drawing further scrutiny to the Democrats and his history of unwanted contact with the women he ponders a president. Well, as he ponders a presidential run, it wasn't sexual, but he did grab me by the head. Amy Lapos told the current Monday he put his hand around my neck and then he pulled me in to rub noses with me. When he was pulling me in, I thought he was going to kiss me on the mouth. Now, Lapos, 43 years old, now a freelance worker with nonprofit agencies, said she felt extremely uncomfortable when Biden approached her at a 2009 fundraiser for U.S. Representative Jim Hines, Democrat of the Fourth, where she was volunteering. At the time, Lapos was a congressional aide to Hines, who she said was not in the room when the incident took place. I've never filed a complaint, to be honest. Because he's the vice president. I was a nobody. See, there's your problem. Don't ever take that. That's that's that power struggle that the left bitches about. That male power. He's vice president. I'm a nobody. There's absolutely a line of decency, she said. There is a line of respect. Crossing that line is not grandfatherly. It's not cultural. It's not affection. It's sexism or misogyny. But, you know, it's old lunch bucket Joe. You know, it's it's Lunch Bucket Joe, Uncle Joe, you know, the cancer fighter. Well, he has apparently groped another couple of women. Yeah, Breitbart has this over the week. Women accuse Joe Biden of inappropriate behavior at an event condemning sexual assault. Two more women have come forward to accuse Vice President Joe Biden of inappropriately touching them. In an article for the New York Times, former college student and sexual assault survivor 
Caitlin Caruso told the Times that Biden had rested his hand on her thigh in an event on sexual assault at the University of Nevada and hugged her just a bit too long. Biden attended the event in 2016 at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas with Lady Gaga, who performed performed her Oscar-nominated song about sexual assault, Till It Happens to You. That's right, Till It Happens to You, you uh, might get groped on the thigh. And that's not the only other one. (laughs) Apparently, there was more. So we know that these people are going to come out. I mean, but, but the amazing thing are the people coming to his defense. Move the goalpost! Move the goalpost! Listen to this. First, you got Valerie so that's Jarrett for him to on say, the political I think, look, view. I can tell you, I know him pretty well. I worked with him for eight years in the White House. He is very demonstrative. I think everyone who knows him yeah. knows that. You mentioned how he was with you. When my dad died, he came up to my office. He was, he was very empathetic. He's that demonstrative. I think it's a conversation more broadly that we need to be having and that for a long time, women's voices weren't heard. I wrote a whole book about lifting up our voices and yeah. I think that's what we have to do. Did he ever make yeah. you feel uncomfortable in the no. eight years you worked with him? He didn't, he didn't. But I think the question is, you know, how is the person who it is directed at yeah. feeling? And that's when he said we should be listening. Right. So it's not really relevant that he didn't make mm-hmm. me uncomfortable. It's, did he make other people feel yeah. that way? Yeah. Valerie, the two women who have uh, accused him or came out with the story said that it is uh, he should not be running given what they have accused him of doing. Do you agree with them? No, I think what's great about our country is that you want to run for president, you get to run. Mm-hmm. You can make your case directly to the American people and give it your best shot. So I don't think we should be disqualifying people. Mm-hmm. I think let them run. That's what part of being in a democracy is all about. I think you guys agree with that, don't you? Yes. I think so. Yeah, if you want to get nominated for the Supreme Court, well, that's what's great about our country. That's what's great about our democracy. You could be nominated to the Supreme Court and be tarred and feathered on national TV by all the media networks, by people who you don't even know, who may say that you uh, engaged in rape gangs, chain gangs up in a dorm room, and you got them drunk on crazy concoctions with red solo cups, and you took advantage of them. Oh, if you want to run for senator of Alabama, well, that's what's great about our country. That's what's great about democracy is you can let the people decide. You know, you can have tons of women show up and say that uh, you were kicked out of the Gadsden Mall and that maybe that, you know, you're signing yearbooks, signing girls, high school girls yearbooks at the Waffle House while you're attorney general. The View has made excuses and concessions for Biden all week. I mean, listen to Whoopi listen respectfully to Flores, but it was never his intention. Now, should she have spoken to him about this before she went on television about it? Or, I mean, is it, you know, listen, in the old days, we would call Joe, some folks of a certain age would say he's a little overly familiar. Yeah. Okay. But most politicians, when they're, you know, doing this with you and, you know, they are. And Joe is, Joe is a hands-on kind of guy. Yeah, he and, is. But no one, I've never heard anyone, and she says she felt violated, and I, I have to take her at her word, but it would have been nice if she had turned to him and said, you know what, Jay, I don't really like this. Please don't do this or not. Mr. Vice President, I'm not really comfortable with that. Something because he's standing right there. I mean, she gets this like high horse thing where she's supposed to say, well, you know, you could have said something. You could have stood up there and, and made the case like I'm not really comfortable with uh, 
many times that you take an uncomfortable situation and you put it in my face, but I'll roll with it, you know? Unless it's so over the top. Someone says an inappropriate joke or comment. Maybe someone grabs you slightly on the behind. A lot of times you're floored by it internally, but you're not out there turning around going, hey, 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 don't you do that right there on the stage. A lot of times you'll get in the car with your spouse and go, did you see what that guy did? Did you see what she did? Did you see what that girl did? Grab my behind? Yeah. Or talk to me. That was really weird. You don't really just come out and start complaining right there and say, you stop that grabbing right now, all that grab-assery. Listen to Joy Behar. No, it's hard to say to somebody who's sniffing No, it's your not. Hair. Somebody touches you inappropriately. But it wasn't. That's the point. That's what she said. They continually make excuses for this fool. And in fact, so did freaking Meghan McCain to a degree. And Abby, what's her name from Fox News, who's now on that show? Of course, she's from the rhino wing. Huntsman, right? Yeah. Father's Jonathan. John Huntsman, the lukewarm candidate that's basically a leftist in the Republican Party. She does not say it rises to the level of sexual assault or anything of that nature. She does not claim this is a Me Too moment. So I think we need to be very clear on that because I think some people are interpreting it that way. And let's also be clear. But that's the point. Mm -hmm. That's the point is to get people to think about it like that. It does not rise to any of those things. No, it's a long way from smelling your hair to grabbing your hoo-ha. I mean, let's tell the truth. But she felt annoyed or uncomfortable with it. And so I... We have to accept that. But I don't think it rises to the to point what we've been listening to about Harvey Weinstein and the rest of these people. It just doesn't look like that. And, you know, we all know Joe Biden. He's been here. I remember when I met him in Florida before he was vice president, and he was so friendly. He, he's the close talker. Yes. He comes right up in your face and you're thinking, I hope my breath is good, you know. <laughs> and I, and more important, I hope his is. Yeah. And, you know, so he talks close. He h- touches he's you. Touch That's he's what he's like. Yeah. And I feel it would be really unfortunate if we got rid of everybody who was just an affectionate kind of person. We, you know, those are nice people, too. He's also been in public office for about 50 years. Yeah, there's one of your problems right there. He's been in office forever. So he's going to have a history as a career politician of stances changing. Like the stance that he had on segregation. How he was for segregation back in the 70s. And now, eh, I guess he's against it. Because things have changed and we've moved the goalpost again for the left because of Democrat privilege. Nothing comes back on them. That's a okay. I mean, that's why you get people like Samantha Maselli, Melissa Milano from who's the boss sitting directly behind Christine, Dr. Christine Blase Ford as she went. Yes, he touched me. Yes, that is correct. I'm trying to sound cute during the Kavanaugh hearings and made excuses for, you know, Biden now. Talking about, I'm 100% behind Biden. Well, Biden wants to be 100% behind you there, sweetie. But remember when women must be believed. We believe survivors, regardless of an accusation, regardless of due process. You're basically just simply guilty. Remember those times? That was so 2018. How about remembering hashtag me too, where someone, you could, you could be guilty by just smiling at the opposite sex. Smiling at a woman. Maybe you're holding a door. I remember when I made a joke at the height of the Me Too movement where one person was talking about how 
they had somebody approach them and say inappropriate things and maybe gave them a creepy glance. I said, well, yeah, I remember when I worked in restaurants when I was, you know, coming out of high school, getting ready, getting ready to go to college. We used to have this one waitress slash server, let's be politically correct, I guess, who used to grab my ass all the time. I didn't run and file charges, but under hashtag me too, maybe I should. Man, I was inundated. I was, it was a swarm of locust trolls online attacking me left and right, saying that I was taking this lightly, ripping me apart, acting like I was making a mockery of it. I thought it was kind of funny, but it was also instructive to point out the hypocrisy of this all and how ridiculous it is, the whole thing was. I mean, I was pointing out all of this to make, you know, I wasn't just pointing out to make light of it or to minimize harassment in general because I'm not looking to do that, but to show how prevalent it was in many ways, and yet Biden gets a pass. So, and in fact, Joe Biden says he doesn't even recall the incident. CBS 8 actually had an article on this where they said, oh yeah, he doesn't recall uh, kissing uh, Flores, you know, on the head. He doesn't recall to any of it, but the security remembers, oh, his secret security from the Gateway Pundit exclusive, former Joe Biden Secret Service agent, we had to protect women from him, Weinstein-level stuff. Speaking on condition of anonymity, the agent asserted that we had to cancel the, v, uh, the vice president Christmas get-together at the vice president's house because Biden would grope all of our wives and girlfriends' asses. The annual party was for agents and Navy personnel who were tasked with protecting Biden's family. He would mess with every single woman or teen. It was horrible, the agent said. According to the source, a Secret Service agent uh, once got suspended for a week in 2009 for shoving Biden after he cupped his girlfriend's breast while the couple were taking a photo with him. The situation got so heated, the source told Cassandra Fairbanks that others had to step in to prevent the agent from hitting the then vice president. Additionally, the agent claims that Biden would walk around the vice president residence naked at night. Said, I mean, stark naked, Weinstein level stuff. So, yeah, we have no problem wanting to besmirch the character of a guy being nominated for the highest court in the land with false allegations and faulty recollections, with numerous individuals who lack credibility. They wheel out Gloria Allred to prop up a grifter with a yearbook signature at a Waffle House from an attorney general signing a high school yearbook, which was really in question. And the mantra is all women, all women should be believed with zero scrutiny. Only for the left to say, see, the conservatives demean women. We need to march with and wear our wool-knitted vagina skull caps knitted by Aunt Eunice in the name of women's rights. And Hollywood will stand up and create campaigns against them in order to completely tank their character, regardless of the consequences and the ripple effects it has uh, with the victim of the attack's family, the reputation of the victim. Or, or the alleged, and even how history will look down upon it. Hell, Clarence Thomas is still dealing with this craziness with the attack he endured by Anita Hill. They're making HBO TV specials about it. Yet Joe Biden can act as though, ah, it's no biggie. We'll smell your hair, kiss you on the head from behind, maybe on the cheek. If hashtag me too encompass me smiling at a female in a restaurant and holding the door for them and saying hi is exerting male power via the evil male patriarchy, then taking the herbal essence challenge with a colleague with her hair at a fundraiser fits the definition. 
Not a peep about the patriarchy or the old order of men's club, especially when it relates to powerful people from the Democrats. They're never held to that standard. But there are some things that are coming up that are eh, a little bit bigger than that. Listen to how Joe Biden dealt with Ukraine. We spent so much time, as you know, because I went for you to you for advice. We spent so much time on the phone making sure that everyone from, at the time, Olan to Renzi to, wouldn't walk away. They wanted no part of these sanctions on Russia. It had an impact on them. It was basically, you got to do that. And thank God Merkel was strong enough at the time to, reluctantly, she didn't like it either. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev and... Uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they, had, they were walking out to the press conference and said, no, nah, I said, I'm not gonna, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid at the time. See, the sexual harassment is not what gonna be, what's going to be what keeps him from running. It's going to be the fact that he put his son into positions of financial gain in Burisma, which is a Ukrainian energy company with Christopher Hines, John Kerry, Secretary of State at the, at the time, um, his son, and Devin Archer, so that they can all financially profit off of it. Interviews with half a dozen senior Ukrainian officials confirmed Biden's account, though they claimed the pressure was applied over several months in late 2015 and early 2016, not just the six hours on that dramatic day. Whatever the case, Ukrainian's parliament obliged by ending the attorney general's tenure as prosecutor. The attorney general was facing steep criticism in Ukraine and among some U.S. officials for not bringing up enough corruption prosecutions when he was fired. And why Joe, would Joe Biden want the son of a bitch fired? Well, what must be an amazing coincidence, this from Zero Hedge, the prosecutor was leading a wide-ranging corruption investigation into a natural gas firm, which Biden's son, Hunter, sat on as the board of directors. The prosecutor he got fired was leading a wide-ranging corruption probe into the natural gas firm Burisma Holdings that employed Biden's younger son, Hunter, as a board member. U.S. banking records show Hunter Biden's American-based firm, Rosemont Seneca Partners LLC received regular transfers into one of its accounts, usually more than 166000 a month from Burisma from spring of 2014 through fall of 2015 during a period when President Biden was the main U.S. official dealing with Ukraine. That is what's going to tank his presidency. That is why he is not throwing his hat into the ring. It isn't just simply, you know, hashtag me too and inappropriate groping. Now, John Solomon pulled all this out on the Hill in his great article, and he basically said, although Biden made no mention of his son in the 2018 speech that we just listened to, um, U.S. and Ukrainian authorities both told us, or told uh, uh, John Solomon, that 
Biden and his office clearly had to know about the general prosecutor's probe into Burisma and his son's role. Now, they noted that Hunter Biden's appointment to the board was widely reported in American media. The U.S. Embassy in Kiev that coordinated Biden's work in the country repeatedly and publicly discussed the general prosecutor's case against Burisma. Great Britain took a very public action against Burisma while Joe Biden was working with that government on Ukrainian issues. Biden's office was quoted on the record acknowledging Hunter Biden's role in Burisma in a New York Times article about the general prosecutor's Burisma case that appeared four months before Biden forced the firing of the AG. The vice president's office suggested that in that article that Hunter Biden was a was a lawyer free to pursue his own private business deals. President Obama named Biden the administration's point man on Ukraine in February of 2014 after a popular revolution ousted Russian friendly President Viktor Yanukovych, who Paul Manafort helped. And as Moscow sent military forces into the Ukraine's Crimea territory, Peter Schweitzer wrote a lot about this in his book as well. So we know that Biden made out like a bandit and this stuff is going to blow up in his face if he decides to fully run. So I think he's going to humor the whole thing, dabble in it a bit, stick his toes in there. You know, old idiot Joe was out there laughing about it, not realizing that that was going to come out down the road. They've all been pretty emboldened. I think they really thought Clinton would win, and next thing you know, this would all get swept under the rug. But Trump won, and that's why they did their Russian meddling investigation, because they ran cover for crap like this. This, the Clinton administration's, uh, you know, enrichment, financial enrichment off of all the things that happened in Russia with Uranium One and Skoklovo and, and everything that's happened with Syrian gun running and selling airplanes to Saudi Arabia, um, Biden and, and John Kerry making out like bandits with their son and, and Kerry's stepson working with Burisma in the Ukraine and Obama pushing funds to the Ukrainian elections to influence them. All of that stuff is going to come out. And when it does, the crap is going to hit the fan. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Listen to us on Mojo 5 Radio. You can find that on iHeartRadio or go to Mojo50.com every Wednesday, 10 p.m. You can also listen to us on the weekends, Saturday, 5 p.m., Sunday morning, midnight, and Sunday at 5 p.m. Also, get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted, and be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five-star review that's going to help us go up in the ratings so we're more visible to others. You can also donate to the show. Go to patreon.com slash Show. Give $2 a month or go to anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parlor, Convo, Snippy. Search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. And you can also read the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku streaming channel store. Be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.